Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Bleave Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcons Flight, the first regular season edition of Falcons Flight here on the Believe Entertainment Network. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. Very happy to have you with us. And, well, Robert, same song, different dance, same result so far for the Atlanta Falcons as they open the 2020 season, the odd 2020 season, with a 38-25 loss at home to the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, there were positives. There also were some same old, same old moments. What were your impressions of the ball game? Well, I mean, you know, the Falcons dropped their third straight home opener, but I don't think it's same old, same old. I think it's a little bit of not a normal preseason. First time they're seeing any action. They had a really good first half. Gurley did well, but then they got behind and they had to kind of abandon the running game in the second half. Matt Ryan was Matt Ryan. There were some things that could be addressed, but everybody seems to say you're going to see a big difference from week one to week two. All good NFL teams keep getting better, keep improving. They're not sounding the alarm like a lot of other fans are, so let's just leave it at that. Some of the areas that they addressed in the offseason looked promising early. The offensive line, of course, you mentioned the fact they ran the ball well early. The pass rush got to Wilson early in the game, but as the game went on, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, you fall behind, you sort of abandoned the running game a little bit, so maybe you throw that one off the table. But the Seahawks adjusted to the pass rush. Russell Wilson began to find his running backs. It kind of went to a little bit more of a short and intermediate screen type of game. And they were very successful as running back catches two touchdown passes in the game. Defensively, the pass rush. So you get to him a couple of times early in the game, but later in the game, he pretty much did what he wanted, and that's adjustment. The game is all about adjustments, and the Seahawks made the better adjustments in the game, which were one of the big differences in it. Well, one thing about Russell Wilson, too, is he can still use his feet. Yep. He can still get mobile, and when he gets flushed out of the pocket, he's dangerous. I'm not worried. I'm not looking at this game negatively in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, 38-25, but they did take a lot of risks, too. I mean, they went for it three times on fourth down. They did a fake punt that resulted in a fumble. So the Falcons got risky, and it didn't pay off. Well, when you break down the stats in this one, so Russell Wilson goes 31 for 35, 322 yards, the aforementioned four touchdowns. Matt Ryan had to throw it 54 times, did throw for a pair of scores, 450 yards, did throw one pick in the game. 
But I think one of the glaring things that stands out in this are the fourth down attempts. So the Falcons on third down went seven for 14, and Seattle went three for nine on third down, but the Falcons went 0 for four on fourth down, and of course gave up a 38-yard touchdown on Seattle's only fourth down attempt in the game. Obviously, the glaring one is the fake punt, where for all intents and purposes, they picked up the first down, but then they fumble the ball away, and Seattle gets it back, and obviously that's a key, huge play in the game. 100%, and I'm not sure what Dan Quinn was thinking. I mean, going for it three times on fourth down and a fake punt, I mean, that's risky football. That's high-risk football, but I don't think it was an offensive problem. Because I think if they don't go for it on those three-fourth downs, because listen to this. You already talked about Matt Ryan. Listen to the day our receiving core had. If we're going to bust out the report card, worth noting, Calvin Ridley, 89.5 overall, highest-rated Falcon of the day. 12 targets, 9 receptions, 130 yards, 2 TDs, 114.6 passer rating when he's targeted. Julio Jones, 9 receptions, 157 yards. Russell Gage, we didn't really talk about him a lot. It looks, you know, that might be that option, that third receiver option. He did get hurt but was able to come back. Nine receptions, 114 yards. Yeah. Hayden Hurst had a nice little diving circus catch, and he got on the action some in the first half. And that's kind of one of the overall themes, too, that a lot of people said. We saw some great things in the first half and it just kind of got away from things in the second half. But things change when you're chasing the scoreboard. So it's going to be fine, everybody. There's 15 games left. I fully expect us to see improvements week two. I don't think this is the same Falcons team as last year, defensively or offensively. I think a lot of it you could, if you wanted to, look to training camp and say, hey, man, they got to get their legs under them. We need to come out of Dallas with a win. I'll say that. I think it's very important we go into Dallas and bring a win home for sure. You mentioned Dallas, and of course they provide the opposition. That is the Cowboys' home opener, and Dallas lost kind of a similar game where – they lose at Los Angeles 20-17. to 17. Interesting note there, they faced a fourth and three at the Rams' 11-yard line with less than 12 minutes to play in the ball game. They went for it on fourth down. They didn't get it, and they could have settled for a field goal there and tied the game, so there's some questions for Mike McCarthy about that, but they wind up losing 20-17. to 17. Speaking of Dallas, We will, in the middle segment of this week's Falcons Flight, have Paul Catalina. He hosts the Believe in Dallas Cowboys podcast. He's one of our counterparts here on the Believe Entertainment Network, and Paul will join us in the middle segment of the program to give us his impressions, his thoughts on this upcoming game, which is the Cowboys opener, again against the Falcons at Jerry World. Let's get into our stack of sound, if we may. And we talked about, you know, no seat was hotter, Rob. We've talked a lot about this than Dan Quinn's coming into the season anyway, based on the way things have gone since that 2016 season and the Super Bowl and all that. Here is Quinn on some of the offensive failures the Falcons had in the game. When you have an offer like that, it's a little bit of both. And I imagine probably three of them were on the offense and one on the team side of things. So We certainly wanted to be bold, and I think knowing that with the group that we have, we're going to continue to do that. So I would say some are execution ones, some to say, hey, you'd like to have a different call in those spaces. But, you know, against a good quarterback, you want to be bold. You want to stay aggressive early on. I like the run game and the play pass that went with it. Um, I thought the offensive line all game, you know, did a good job in protection, even when the score, you know, was down a few scores and they could pin their ears back and go. So I thought that was, you know, something I was looking forward to seeing from our group, and they responded. And the offer, of course, that he alluded to in the beginning of that comment, 
the stat on fourth down that we talked about. Quinn goes on to talk about Todd Gurley's performance. Gurley, of course, 14 carries, 56 yards, a long of 15, and got in the end zone once. Here's Quinn on Gurley. I had a sense that, you know, by the training camp that he had, that he'd play well and perform well. And so I think it really shifted for me in the third quarter. You know, the two scores, or we weren't able to stay in quite the same space. You know, when you're down a couple, you're just thinking of your possessions, getting a score, getting another one. So, It would have been nice to continue into that space into the fourth quarter, but as the game went um, in terms of carries and and staying in it, that that wasn't how we could play at that that time. One of the things I've noticed, Robin, it's just an observation, but Quinn sure is using the word space a lot. In all the quotes, this space, that space, that's cool. It's just worth noting. Well, here's Quinn on the impact of no fans. Of course, that varied across the league. Kansas City, I think, had 17,000. Various others had varying levels of fans. Of course, here in Atlanta, there were none. Here are Quinn's thoughts on that. You appreciate those for sure. I would say at the uh, beginning, you know, not being able to share in that moment with them. And then certainly the third downs are usually the biggest advantages that go on. But, um, you know, hopefully we'll get to that space, you know, sometime this year. But, you know, more than anything, just for us being able to execute in those spaces is a big deal. Robert and I talked a little bit earlier about that fake punt. Here is Quinn's explanation of his thoughts on the play. If we had the right look, we were going to go do it. And so... When the look came up, we executed it, and so we didn't get there due to the fumble, but we were looking for a certain look, and uh, if you don't have it, you can check out of it. So there could be a, a time where you call fake punts, but the look isn't right for you, and you kick it away. And so in this game, that was the one that we had, that the look we were looking for, so not executing that one and, and obviously turn the ball over, I mean, that was a big part. Well, of course, one of the big storylines this year, and it probably did impact the opening week of play, The fact that there were no preseason games to hone your typical skills, knock the rust off in game-like conditions. Here are Quinn's thoughts on the impact of no preseason games. I think we really came in ready. And so when you don't get what you want, obviously you get discouraged and pissed about it. But I thought in the run game, you know, defensively, you know, those were some good run defensive plays and tackles to go, you know, not having enough chances to affect them. The long third down, one that turned to be a penalty, you know, I thought in the end of the first half, that was a big play for it. But past that, it wasn't sloppy in that space of a ball game. I didn't feel on both sides. Space, again. (laughs) So Quinn in the postgame space talked about what he said to the team after this game. I just mainly said, hey, when you don't get what you want and you put the work in, you know, it gets frustrating. And I know we'll make a big jump from week one into week two. So we're playing at our best you know, heading into the next game. And so that's really all I wanted them to focus on was just being at their best. And the teams I've been a part of that were good, like, you know, just keep getting better and keep getting better. And I certainly see that to be the case with these guys today as we're moving into next week. Yeah, we're pissed and upset because we thought we'd thrown a great camp to be ready to play. And so when it doesn't go your way, obviously you're upset. Uh, moving along, one guy you never have to worry about what level of game he brings with him is Grady Jarrett. Jarrett, like all the Falcons, disappointed in the season opening loss to the Seahawks. Here are Grady's thoughts on the game. Definitely disappointed we lost, but we think it's some good things to take away from this game. But definitely a lot to improve on. You know, definitely not the way we want to start the season, but, you know, we got to keep going back to work so we can get going on the right track. The D-line is a subject of scrutiny, and, of course, they added Dante Fowler to boost the pass rush, which, again, looked pretty good early in the game. But 
kind of worsened and got marginalized a little bit as the game went on, and Seattle made the offensive adjustments we talked about a little bit earlier. Jared overall thought the D-line played well early, but here are his thoughts on the entire game. Game situations when the score get a little hobbled, some opportunities to rest don't come, so they kind of go more to run game, more play-action pass game, and you know, they make adjustments too, so we just got to continue to rush up front, and we was able to get them off the spot a couple times and rush a couple bad passes in the second half as well, so it wasn't a total fail, but we definitely got to realize you're playing in the National Football League. They're going to make adjustments as well, and we just got to continue hunting and making our adjustments with them. You just got to see where things went wrong and adjust from it. Football's game, a constant adjustment, not a perfect game, but also we have to be accountable. One of the things, Rob, about Grady Jarrett week in and week out is, you know, he always is a guy that's accountable. He sees the big picture, as you know, and as you heard in those comments, he, kind of like you, doesn't look at it as though it's time to push any panic buttons, but you always do look to get off to a good start, and obviously 0-1 is not that good start. Yeah, but again, I'll just keep going back to it. It's game one, and if I'm going to be a bit of a homer, I guess, I'm going to go back to training camp. It was scrimmage heavy. They didn't have any preseason games. It was a different look. So I thought there could be some teams that stumble out of the gate and maybe even drop two or three games before they right the ship and kind of get into a pattern. I'm not worried. It's worth noting, in 2020, you got to find your silver linings wherever you can find them. Grady Jarrett's mother has never missed a single one of his football mm. games. Homer away since Pop Warner, Clemson, everything. She said it was something like 144 games, but she wasn't able to come to this game. So what she did was she got herself and the rest of his family and they all gathered around a bridge where he parked his car, and they surprised him as he was getting out of his car to go into the game. So that was pretty cool, I thought. Talking about attendance and everything, some of the players said it would have been nice to have those fans on third down, but if there's any team in the NFL that really shouldn't have to adjust with playing without fans, probably the Cleveland Browns, I would think. <laughs> yeah. I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, probably a good observation. Let's move on in the sound pile. we got a couple of cuts left here. We mentioned Matt Ryan, a very Matt Ryan-like, 37 for 54, 450 yards. A pair of scores did throw one interception. Here is Ryan on the team's offensive performance. I thought Todd did a great job. We had some really positive runs in the first half. Our offensive line did a nice job. We just got stalled out a little bit. I guess we went for it three times on fourth downs uh, as an offense, and we broke three on those. That changes the scope of the ball game, and we got to find a way to convert in those situations. And finally, one last cut. Ryan talks about the fact that Jamal Adams had a big game for Seattle. He was disruptive all day, and here are Ryan's thoughts on that. There's no doubt about it, and they were using him in different ways and in some different packages than they've done in the past. I thought we adjusted to it at halftime. We did a nice job in the second half, but it was just not enough, and we've got to be better. Really, I think in those critical downs, fourth downs to kind of keep drives going and, and come away with points. Yeah, so now we move on to the Dallas Cowboys, Rob. And, you know, it's always a tough thing to go on the road, I think, in any professional sport. And obviously a team's opener, it makes it that much tougher. And look, the Cowboys have had their underachieve moments, particularly here the last 20 years or so, since they had the great run in the 90s. But the one thing they've never lacked for is talent. And they have plenty of talent on that team. You know, every year people pick them to be highly relevant, to be a Super Bowl contender. And just about every year they find ways to disappoint. As much money as they'll throw at Dak Prescott and all these other things, I'm still not totally sold, myself anyway, that Prescott's a guy 
who's going to be a Hall of Fame-type player that's going to be one of those guys who leads them to multiple championships. I'm just not sold that he's that consistent, and maybe I'm wrong. I think he's this generation's Tony Romo, if you want my honest opinion. But I want to go back to something real quick. Do you know how hard it is to throw for 450 yards in the NFL in a game? 450 yards. That's what Matt Ryan piled up. Receiving core had a great day. We saw something from Hayden Hurst. We saw a bright spot with Todd Gurley. He looked fine. Matt Ryan was just being Matt Ryan. The defense got three sacks. You got to hang your hat on a lot of that stuff. And what I want people to get away from is to stop with the negative stuff, man. You care about that stuff. You want to look at that stuff. But with this Falcons team that started out so bad last year and then finished 6-2, and there's a lot of bright spots in this game. And that's what I'm focusing on. And, again, you know, we're probably going to say it a million times. I'm not sounding the alarm. I'm not raising the flag. I fully expect the Falcons to go into Dallas and get a win, if you want my honest opinion. I think they're going to bounce right back. I think there's just too much talent and too much care, too much try. Because we've said this before in early episodes, I don't think Quinn's lost his locker room yet, and I don't think he's lost his players. I think everybody's still in it for the fight, and they realize there's 15 games left, and that's about all i got to say about that. There's two things that stand out from the Cowboys' loss against the Los Angeles Rams. They really struggled to muster much in the way of points, only scoring 17, but they really struggled to get the Rams off the field. Jared Goff basically sliced and diced up their defense all day long, And the Rams dominated time of possession and having the ball is a key. And that's what everybody will tell you. If anybody that watches football very, very close, it's all about time of possession. I don't know a lot about the Cowboys. We're going to find out more about them here in just a second. But, I mean, I fully expect the Falcons to be ready. And, again, you know, Dan Quinn said they were pissed. Grady Jarrett said they were pissed. So they have something to prove. So they're going to be coming into the chip on their shoulder, and they're going to be angry, and they're going to be looking to smack the Cowboys right in the mouth. Well, we'll see how it all goes at Jerry World, but we are going to step aside right here and take a timeout. On the other side of that timeout, we'll have Paul Catalina, again, one of the co-hosts, along with former Cowboys corner Orlando Skandrick of Believe in Dallas Cowboys here on the Believe Entertainment Network. And Believe, of course, is the number one site for podcast professionals. This is Falcon's Flight. I'm Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor, and we're back with Paul Catalina right after this timeout. You're listening to Falcon's Flight from Believe Entertainment. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. 
Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight, edition number one of the regular season 2020. Brian Giffen with Robert Taylor. Falcons Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. And joining us now via the telephone line is Paul Catalina. He, along with Orlando Skandrick, host Believe in Dallas Cowboys here on the Believe Entertainment Network. And of course, Paul, like many of our counterparts around the National Football League, believe making a concerted effort this year to have a podcast in every market. And of course, we're the Atlanta version. Paul is part of the Dallas version. Paul, a disappointing loss to the season for the Cowboys at Los Angeles, a game that they were really kind of dominated in terms of time of possession. They did put up pretty good numbers offensively, 380 yards, but couldn't sustain drives long enough to capitalize. What are your thoughts when you look back at the 20-17 to season opening loss for the Cowboys out in Los Angeles? What I think is the most disappointing is that nothing's really changed from 2019. It's that you know, they had a lot of yards, they had a lot of chances to, you know, make things happen, and they didn't. That was the same thing last year. Last year they were 1-6 and six in one-possession games. This year they're 0-1 in one-possession games. Nothing has really changed, and, and you would think that maybe with a new coaching staff that would have been evident right off the bat, but it's not. So I think that's the thing that, that's kind of like in the pit of my stomach of, you know, what's in store for at least 2020 it might be more of the same until they get adjusted to, to whatever's going on. Paul, how you doing this morning? Robert Taylor here. I guess a question I have for you is Cowboys fans are famous for sticking by their team. Diehard fans, I love that. You guys ride with your team, win, lose, or draw, no matter what. But I would probably say the Cowboys are probably one of the most hated teams in the league right now. I think you guys catch a lot of ire and jokes from the rest of the fan base. Walk me through what it's been like to be a Cowboys fan since those heydays of Aikman, all those guys, Tony Romo, all the miscues and people calling for Jason Garrett's head. Just give me a little glimpse on how you feel. There are several tiers of Cowboys fans. There are the ones who still live in the 70s, and I'm not kidding about that, where they'll be like, man, Tom Landry was the only guy who could ever do anything, and almost forget that they won three Super Bowls in the 90s because they don't like Jerry Jones. There are the ones who are still living in the 90s, and one of those has been, at least until recently, Jerry Jones, because I think he's tried to recapture the 90s without, without completely adjusting his mindset to what needs to happen roster-building-wise in the modern era. That's changed recently, but there's those fans. And then the kind of blanket over most Cowboys fans is that they're elitist in that this is America's team, this is the most popular sports franchise maybe 
you know, in, in the United States of America, like when you when you talk about it, like the, everything about them is the most valuable, the, all those things. Like there's so much about the Cowboys that's big, but they haven't won since 1996. I mean, that was the year, but it's 95 season. They haven't won. So it, everybody's very confused about, you know, who you really are in the world. And I don't think they care that people hate them because they get so much attention. They sometimes deserve it. Sometimes they don't. So it's kind of a weird existence being a Cowboys fan in that you know that you have this great franchise that hasn't done anything in the quarter century, but, you know, they're still fun to watch and they're still fun to talk about. So you kind of pretend like, oh, it's, it's coming. Don't worry. It'll happen eventually. But we don't know that it will. Who knows? I mean, sports is unpredictable. Paul, tell us a little bit about the Jerry Jones dynamic. Obviously, there are a few owners in all of sports that are more visible and more hands-on and more heard from, seen, involved directly in the operation of the franchise. He's been criticized for a long time for being his own general manager, and I know that he's handed some of those things off to his son, Stephen. But tell us a little bit about the dynamic of dealing with you know, such a enigmatic to a degree and also such a visible hands-on owner as Jerry Jones. That's really rare, even though owners are typically across the sports landscape, egomaniacs and, of course, billionaires. Jerry is unique. Um, I would think that the perception outside of Dallas is that uh, people don't like Jerry. Like, people don't like Jerry Jones. They think he's too involved. They think he's an egomaniac. And, yeah, he's got a big ego. There's no doubt about that. And, yes, he's been way too involved over the, the course of his owning the team. But that, that has had benefits for the league. It's had benefits for the team. So there's some good and then bad to it. The bad is that sometimes he gets so wrapped up in it emotionally that he can't see the forest of the trees. I'll tell you this. If you spend 30 seconds, seconds with Jerry Jones, you'll automatically like him. He is friendly. He, is, he kind of instantly knows you, that kind of guy. Uh, he's fun, you know, when he's talking to you. Now, again, he's got, those ego. he's got an ego. There's no doubt about that. I mean, like, he has an ego. And there are times where, like, that kind of comes out. But he has this, I mean, he is the world's best sales. Like, they, he can get, like, he could get anybody, like, this, to coach that team if he wanted him to. That's the funny thing about <laughs> when people say, like, oh, they don't want to go and work for Jerry Jones. Like, shut up. You've never met Jerry Jones. Believe me. Uh, the line from Tommy Boy was, he can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. <laughs> Jerry Jones could do that. He could. Yeah, he, he could do any of that stuff. That's how good he is at convincing people to come there. And because of the whole way that Jimmy Johnson went down, like that, that has you know, created this legend. Like those guys were old friends uh, from college that decided to work together. It worked. It was not going to be a long-term thing. And they both found a way to, to divorce themselves from each other. And so that, and that'll never change. We can't go back in time. And I think that, that the legend of that has, has written with Jerry for a long time. Man, we could do a two-hour show with you. I've got so many questions. Now, when I was a young kid, I've got friends that were lifelong Cowboys fans, so I'd be lying if I didn't say I watched a little Cowboys football in the 90s. They were really exciting to watch. But So Jason Garrett played for the Cowboys. Then in 2010, he becomes the interim head coach, gets the gig for real in 2011, and then made it till 2019. How do you think he was able to survive so long in Dallas? Because I really think he made it much further than he probably should have. Why do you think he was able to remain the head coach for so long? Well, I mean, you know, he had two like two different times when he was under the gun. He had fantastic seasons, and then they fell on their face in the playoffs. So it's hard to, you know, when a team goes 13-3, and three, 
turn around and go, well, you lost in the playoffs, so eh, you're out. You know, that, that's hard. Uh, the other reason he survives for so long is Jerry Jones loves him. I mean, they are super close. It was really hard for Jerry Jones to let Jason Garrett go. And I still think he, he has it in the pit of his stomach about Jason Garrett, like how it didn't work. And it ultimately got to the point where they had to let him go. That's kind of the big thing there is just he was so wrapped up and Jason Garrett was almost part of the Jones family. That's how tight they were. That's how he made it as long as he did because Jerry didn't want to let him go. Like Jerry wanted to make it work. And because he hired Jason Garrett before he hired Wade Phillips, as a matter of fact, uh, to be the offensive coordinator in a role to be specified, he felt that like his, you know, roots were in that, but that he created Jason Garrett's coaching career, so to speak. And he really wanted that to, to blossom and grow in Dallas. Paul, let's turn our attention to this game. These two teams, the Falcons and Cowboys, both disappointing beginnings to the season. Both in some respects played well, but in some other respects didn't play well. Sets up an interesting dynamic because you don't want to go 0-2 in the National Football League, and obviously both teams are going to be fighting hard to win. It's the Cowboys' season opener at home, at least. What are your thoughts and what are your keys when you look at this ball game and this matchup? Well, the Cowboys had enough problems with the Rams' offense to have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Yes, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are excellent wide receivers, but, I mean, dear God, Julio Jones, like, it's just like they carved him out of a granite mountain and, and, and you know, shot him full of lightning like you saw dang superhero. And you saw what Calvin Ridley did last week. So the secondary's got to have their hands full. They're going to have to get uh, back to Matt Ryan and cause some disruptive plays. And I, I'm sure you saw the game. The Rams ran up the middle at will. So Todd Gurley got to feel pretty good about his, his chances to get some good yards this week against the Cowboy defense that doesn't look very good right now. So – They've got to make some adjustments on the fly against a team that I know, you know, got run up on offensively last week, but but still can move the ball quite well and has a lot of weapons. So I expect a little bit of a shootout given that either of these teams' defenses are very good and the Cowboys in week two, their offense should probably look a little bit better and they'll make some adjustments. So I I expect to see, I mean, this is going to be one of those 34-31 kind of crazy games in, in my estimation. Paul, in closing, I want to get your thoughts on two players. The obvious one is Dak Prescott, who, of course, the contract situation, all of that. Dak Prescott, it's time for, in most people's minds, I think, for him to show that he's that guy that can lead them to Super Bowls and win championships. And on the other hand, the reclamation project that is Alden Smith, who, of course, is back in the league after he had been suspended for having problems off the field. What are your thoughts on those two guys? Obviously, Prescott Scott's a big key. How big a key is Alden Smith, who had a really good game in the opener against the Rams? Yeah, uh, I'll start with Zach. Zach, he's going to get his money, and the world needs to just embrace the fact that he's going to get market value. And maybe and, and more money than he would have gotten had the Cowboys you know, done what they should have done and gotten this done maybe even two years ago. But they've, they've kind of been you know, banging their heads against the wall on Zach's contract. Zach is a guy who's won a lot of games. He's going to win most of the games that he plays. He needs to take that next step forward and make plays, get them, you know, advance into the postseason. I actually don't have a doubt that that'll happen if the Cowboys can build a defense that doesn't make them have to play the games like they did against the Rams on Sunday night. They need to build a defense that can consistently make turnovers and consistently give them a short field. If that didn't happen last year, they did this with Sony Romo and they're doing it with that. Is that 
it's kind of like, okay, offense, go win the game. Go win the game, go win the game. Well, sometimes the defense needs to win a game. The defense needs to make a play. And that's where guys like Alden Smith come in. Alden Smith had a great game. It did not look like he had he'd been not playing for five years. The Cowboys have tried this with a bunch of different guys, yep. varying levels of success. You know, Jerry's not afraid to take a risk. He brought in Greg Hardy, who I will tell you is one of the worst people I've ever covered. Yep. I'm just talking human <laughs> beings, like just ever been around. They're like, you could, even in the locker room, you can see players are like, I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy. Like, he's here. We're dealing with it, but I don't like this guy. Like, that that was Greg Hardy. And now Alden Smith's not that guy. I mean, I, I don't think he's that guy. I haven't you know, gotten the chance to be in the locker room this year because of COVID-19, but, you know, he seems to be a guy that the, the players are embracing of, of helping him come back from what was a long time of, of substance abuse and alcohol abuse. And now he's back on the right track. He looks good. He worked out with Jay Glazer. He's been he's in fantastic shape. Uh, he's in great football shape. Saw what he did the other night. And so part of that, like helping out Dak Prescott, is having players that make consistent plays like that on defense. They've only had a couple. Like Marcus Lawrence is fantastic. If Alden Smith can go on the other side and make plays, that'd be great. If uh, Everson Griffin hits, that'll be great. If they can get healthy in their linebacker core, which is going to be at least eight weeks from now, uh, that'd be great. But they, they need to stop people so that it's not like it was with Tony Romo. Well, Tony don't win the game. Well, Tony, was, he was kind of a wing and a prayer guy a lot of the time. So there's, there's a, a, you know, a yin and a yang with that. Uh, Dak Prescott, not as uh, much of a risk taker as Tony Romo. But still, if you keep saying, okay, offense go in the game, Dak is on you, Dak is on you. Well, you know, nobody pitches a no-hitter every time they go up to the mound. Yep. So it's not like you can rely on the quarterback to be great. 16 games a year, but if he's great 10 and okay in two and bad in three, that's that's a pretty good year. Yeah, it's a good point. Hey, uh, Paul, before we let you go, an opportunity to plug your show along with Orlando Skandrick. Yes, former Cowboys quarterback Orlando Skandrick and I believe in the Cowboys podcast. We post, uh, we're going to post two episodes a week, one uh, recapping the, the game that just happened, and then uh, later in the week we'll preview the upcoming opponent. So uh, right now you can go on and uh, – uh, check us out on uh, – you can find it on, you know, on wherever you get your Believe podcast. You know how it goes. We're all on the same network. So wherever you subscribe, you can just find the Believe in the Cowboys podcast. And uh, me and Orlando, Orlando gives some great insight as a former player uh, who's been in that locker room, who knows a lot of the guys still on the team. So uh, it's been great to, uh, to add him to the mix. Paul, we greatly appreciate you taking the time, man. You guys are an hour behind us out there in Texas, so you're up and at them early. And we appreciate you taking the time here with us on Falcons Flight as Dallas hosts Atlanta on Sunday. Paul, thanks so much, man. All the best to you and Orlando both. All right, absolutely. Anytime. Paul Catalina, he is the host of Believe in Dallas Cowboys here on the Believe Entertainment Network, the number one site for podcast professionals. I am Brian Giffen. I'm joined by Robert Taylor. This is Falcons Flight, and we are back with more. The world-famous Swirly segment comes your way right after this timeout. You're listening to Falcons Flight, and again, it is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. We are back right after this. Stay with us. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. 
Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to MrHardwoodInc.com. It is Falcon's Flight, the first regular season edition 2020 as Atlanta gets set to go to Dallas this Sunday to take on the Cowboys. It is the Cowboys' home opener, and both teams, of course, coming off losses to open this very odd, so far, 2020 season, and I think for that matter, year. Before we fire up the commode... <laughs> It's it's so much fun to say that. Before we fire up the commode, though, Robert, you had some other things you wanted to touch on briefly, all things Falcons and or NFL. Well, I'm probably going to get roasted over this by some Falcons fans, but it popped into my head, so I'm going to ask the question. Now, it's worth noting also, uh, Laquan Treadwell signed with the Falcons in March, former first-round pick of the Vikings. He's been okay, really good at Mississippi, but they brought him back to the practice squad. So they got another receiver in there. Russell Cage looked good. Did get hurt, but was able to come back. All signs point to Calvin Ridley emerging as a premier receiver. Julio Jones still a premier receiver, but he's got a little age on him. Do you envision a scenario, or could there be a, be a scenario as the season wears on and, and the Falcons are looking to make moves? Do you put Julio up on the trade block? Interesting question. Boy, I don't know. I mean, it's such a franchise bedrock piece. It's hard to envision that, but I will go as far as to say that nothing at this point, sports-wise, period, would surprise me. Nothing. Yeah, just, you know, and I think that where that question probably sprang from is listening to all my favorite sports radio shows over the years, and I'm kicking myself. because I mean you still have some? Not anymore. I, I really don't <laughs> not anymore. Not locally. But I'm kicking myself for asking that question, but those guys ask those types of questions all the time. So I'm just looking at numbers and everything, and I'm like, well, you know, it's happened. Well, you, know, you could get a king's ransom for a player like you that. Know, but uh, because it seems like the offense is probably going to be okay. They had a good game against the Seahawks. I think they just took too many risks. 
And I'm still asking that question to myself. Like, I get it, game one, maybe you want to come out strong and make a statement, but going for it three times on fourth down, you, that doesn't happen a lot in the NFL. No. Three times in a game. That sounds a, more like Brian Bohannon. Yeah, you know, and a fake punt. So, you know, I don't know. I just – it's one of those things that, that popped into my head, so I had to ask the question. I got to tell you, and, you know, you made the point earlier, it is only one game. But I think if they drop this game – the seat of one Dan Quinn begins to get exponentially hotter because an 0-2 start is not what you're looking for. Historically and statistically in the National Football League, if you start 0-2, your chances of making the playoffs drop precipitously. Not that it matters. Every year is different. Every week is different. But Dan Quinn needs this game. He does, and I'm going to disagree with our friend out in Dallas. Paul seemed like a wonderful guy, and I'm a huge fan of his wine mixers. But he said, not to mention that salad dressing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, just, just, just fun. funning with you, Paul. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Paul was great, by the way. But I'm going to disagree with him because he said both defenses weren't very good. I don't think the Falcons' defense is not very good. I think they're going to be just fine. I mean, you know, Oliver had a blown coverage during the game to help Seattle go up. But you know, the, the question was asked. You know, was he looking for help over the top? Quinn said no, just a busted coverage. But anyway. I think the Falcons' defense is good, and they're going to be good. They've got some young guys, but who wouldn't take three sacks in a game? Well, the key's going to be the adjustments that Seattle made, for example. When Dallas makes adjustments, if you start off well, you've got to adjust back the other way. There's a lot of youth on that defense as well. By the way, a pretty good game for A.J. Terrell in his pro debut, but another story for another time. But generally speaking, it's a game of adjustments back and forth. And they didn't adjust well when Seattle made that adjustment to start throwing underneath to their backs and whatnot. That's going to be a key all season long, and football is, as coaches ad nauseum will tell you, a game of adjustments. And right now, after game one, I am going to say they're going to make the adjustments. Raheem Morris, all the defensive guys, they took away their positives from this first game, but they also realized where their issues lie. And I think they're going to clear it up. They're professionals. And I believe in Raheem Morris. I mean, he finished the season 6-2. and two, And the Falcons didn't have a bad defensive showing. I, I think they just maybe, with the excitement of getting the season started because maybe it wasn't going to happen and all the COVID politics and everything and, and them coming out, I, th- I think they just came, out, came on a little too strong. I think they maybe could have been a little more conservative with those fake punts and all the, their mishmash. But that being said, let's do the thing with the thing. As we wind down this edition of Falcons Flight, what time is it? Swirly time, swirly time, swirly time. The Falcons Flight crew is intolerant of jackassery. There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. Where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away. Where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. Indeed. This is our Game of Thrones. It is. Where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. They are. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. All right. We have polished up the flush handle. 
We have opened the lid, and it is time once again for the soon-to-be world-famous Swirly segment. And I will leave this off because that's kind of how we've been doing it. And uh, let me just dive right into this here. A suspected drug dealer tried to evade authorities in Nevada while riding a scooter. <laughs> okay. The Nevada Appeal reports that Joseph Skirty is facing charges, including suspicion of a parole and probation warrant and a probation violation. Obstruction charges are pending. The slow-speed pursuit began Friday when Carson City deputies tried to pull Skirty and his Vespa scooter over. <laughs> deputies say they ran the scooter's registration and learned Skirty had two outstanding felony warrants. Authorities say he drove down Highway 50, then rode onto a sidewalk in an attempt to evade capture, instead hitting a patrol vehicle. The scooter then became stuck underneath the car. Deputies say Skirty then ran, but was tackled and handcuffed. It so often ends that way. Skirty told police he was riding away because he had to drop the scooter off at a friend's house. Oh, my. Hey, Skirty, where you're going? It's swirling blue and it ain't pretty. Get over here. Scoot this. That's it, boy. Get in there nice deep. Not under the car, in the toilet. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And you're riding a Vespa. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town traded the van for it straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! I'm pretty sure <laughs> our toilet swirls at a higher velocity than that scooter <laughs> yeah, will go. The RPM. Yeah, it's high. a higher top speed. <laughs> the tachometer on yeah. the crapper has yeah. a higher red line ceiling than that of a Vespa. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, where the hell do you go I, from that? Well, you... I used to always pride myself on our former podcast. I'd have some sort of snappy comeback or some kind of quick joke, but now I'm just like, Sometimes I got... Sometimes you just got to suspend belief. I got nothing. You know, you just <laughs> tried to make your getaway on a scooter. There's many other forms of getaway vehicles that... Even O.J. <laughs> Simpson's Bronco was faster than a Vespa. <laughs> yeah. Dumbass. What you got, Rob? Well, I... I'm just swirling a uh, everyday run-of-the-mill guy. But I'm telling you, Falcons fans, and I liked what Paul said, that there's different tiers of fans. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but that's true for every franchise, and I think it always will be. But in Atlanta, we, and I've said this before, and I'm really going to try to use this podcast as we grow and you know get more popular. That's the hopes anyway. We hope to find podcast fame and fortune through this thing. But, Especially the fortune part. Yeah. I'm hoping to sway Atlanta fans because we are notorious for being fair weather. We are notorious for being crybabies. And this guy is the biggest crybaby of the week. His name is Austin Nix. And I don't know Austin, but everybody knows Brian and I are in the restaurant industry. And one of my employees, he's a good friend, and he texts him through the middle of the Falcons-Seahawks game. Game's not even over yet, by the way, but the Falcons are down. And he starts crying. I got to find a new team. 
these guys just break my heart so much, oh and I'm just tired of it. <laughs> but then he, but, but then he goes. But the jerseys are cool. So seriously, <laughs> if you're one of those Atlanta fans after Game One, which by the way there were plenty of bright spots, we just didn't quite get it done. Just get out of here, man. We don't want you. We don't need you. And guess what? If you leave now, you don't get to come back to the cast. You know when things start picking up and we gain a head of steam. If you're done, be done. But seriously, Atlanta fans, I'm putting all of you on blast. Support your team. Look for the positives. Stop being so dang jumpy and just basically man up. Man up. But, Austin, you're going in, bud, because, hey, as far as I'm concerned, you're out. Whether or not you say you're out, in my book, you're out. Get off the wagon. Hey, Nicks, you're in the swirling blue mix. Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there, nice deep line. Stay off that bandwagon nice and deep like. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And there are plenty of those. Brian, we forgot one thing. What's that? And we, we can't end this show because I teased a lot of people about an important number. I went on Twitter and Facebook, and I said, you got to listen to the next one to find out the significance of the number 630. This should be good. It's an important number, but it's a depressing number. 630 is the number of days the Falcons have gone without a 100-yard rusher. And that says a lot. And everybody knows in order for the Falcons' you know, offensive attack to function at a high level, balance, full, full tilt, you got to have that run game. December 23rd, 2018, Brian Hill in a 24-10 win over the Panthers in Week 16 ran for 115. That was it. So we got to get Gurley going. Even that, you know, they they ran a few backs on Sunday, but we got to, even if it's collectively, we got to get that number up. That rushing game has got to happen. Well, that will about do it for this edition of Falcons Flight. Robert Taylor has been with me, the faithful sidekick. In addition to that, big thanks to Paul Catalina out in Dallas. He is the co-host of Believe in Dallas Cowboys, that podcast found right here on the Believe Entertainment Network. Tune in. It is the Falcons at the Cowboys on Sunday, and we will have full coverage of that one for you coming up on the next podcast. That's it for us. We're out. So long. Thank you for listening to Falcon's Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcon's Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.